0: It was the early 60s and my parents had taken us to Jekyll Island to tour the mansions. As the seven of us went through, my mother at one point noticed my sister Sharon was no longer with us, thinking that she was probably just in another room or maybe the restroom, or perhaps she had even gone outside to wait on us. But every second that went by that my mother did not see her, she became more anxious. Slowly, my mother became frantic to find her. I remember vividly, there was an elderly couple that saw my mom searching and said, can we help you? And she said, I can't find my daughter. And they asked, what was she wearing? What does she look like? My mom gave a description. At that point, some of the tour guides got involved. The state patrol was called on the island And then a young group of about four friends, we would have called them hippies, jumped in and also offered to spread out to look for her. My dad, with my other two older sisters, Sheila and Charlene, they walked back toward our car to see if she thought, hey, I'll just go there to meet up with them. Me and Shelly, being the babies, stayed with our mom at the last place she was known to be. Well, the state patrol found her sitting in a chair with the back of the chair facing the door, so if you looked in the room, you wouldn't see her. And Sharon had found a rare book in the library of that mansion and just lost track of time reading. But again, even as a little, little girl, what I remember is all of these people from different backgrounds, at different stages of their life, stopped everything they were doing to help. It made me feel great that strangers, who we had never seen before, immediately jumped into action to look for my sister. And as my mother used to always say, love wins. Now y'all know I like to start a case, especially a cold case investigation, where it ended. But in the missing persons case of Molly Miller and Colt Hayes, I don't have that. We don't know where it is. We don't have a crime scene. We don't have a place that was located where evidence was found, collected and preserved. It's really unusual to start a case where somebody goes missing and you kind of have a general idea because there was some 911 calls made There was some searches done by some friends, but you never locate any evidence of where Colt and Molly ended up. Now, I'm just going to remind y'all that Molly Miller and Colt Hayes got into a car driven by their friend, Con Nip, on July 7, 2013 in Wilson, Oklahoma. After a police chase with speeds up to 120 miles an hour, the chase was called off, but law enforcement could see the dust from the trail the car was taken, so they knew the direction that they went. They also knew the car. They also knew Khan. So even though there was a chase, it wasn't like they didn't know where to go find it. The car was found wrecked and Molly and Colt were never seen alive again. Our guest today is Paula Miller Fielder. She's Molly's cousin. For a decade, she's been searching, fighting, praying to try to find Molly and Colt. Now, she and the family did something extraordinary. Seven and a half years after Molly went missing, They had her declared dead. I think it's one of those investigative moves that's genius. If Molly was legally declared dead, it would mean this becomes a death investigation, no longer a missing person. Now, the family hoped that that action would lead to more resources for law enforcement to change from a missing person and put homicide detectives on it that OSBI and maybe the FBI could get involved. It was just a really smart maneuver, even though it was gut-wrenching for them. Paula, I cannot thank you enough for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I I honestly uh, appreciate you uh, putting Molly's story out there the way you have the past few weeks. And, you know, it's it's people like you that keep her story going, that keeps people interested And never lets them forget.
0: Well, you and I had a chance to work side by side with each other on the ranch. Yes. (laughs) I got (laughs) to tell (laughs) you. Oh, gosh. I want people to know. Again, I've told the story about when I first walked in, but I want to talk specifically about you that weekend. It was the day after Thanksgiving. And when I walked into that ranch, you were to my left at the stove. And you were cooking and simultaneously while you were making you know, dinner and whatnot, you were also cleaning up. And I thought, now this is a woman that knows how to run that kitchen, especially the day after Thanksgiving where you've probably already done that. And then that night we went out searching. You didn't even go to bed. And then the next day, you never stopped. From the moment we hit that field area and that search area, You were working the screens. You were pulling dirt. You were sifting through stuff. You were helping get the hose ready. You were walking the area to make sure, yep, I think we can set up here. And I think the hose can run this way. And, you know, we'll put the tarps here. I mean, you really were just remarkable as far as the effort that you were going to put in physically.
1: You know, over the past 10 years. I've had an opportunity on multiple occasions to do some searches that we had gotten together that would possibly end in results. And when those opportunities arise, there's no wasting time. And when you have the people there that are there in a, for a very limited time, You know, you've got to get as much done in that time frame as you possibly can. And this has happened not only in this instance where you and Maureen were there, but in other instances over the years. You know, it's like just go nonstop to get as much done as possible. And it is physically and mentally exhausting. However, it's something that absolutely has to be done and it has to be done now. I just wanted to make sure, you know, I, I always have this fear that something's going to get missed. I can't feel like I can leave the area. You know, I have to stay right there because in my head, I know what I'm looking for. You didn't burn any
0: daylight. I mean, it was all well utilized. And again, it was it was something to me that I know this is gut wrenching. I know it's hard. I know Maureen and I even talked that at that scene, we wanted to find something. We wanted some answer to be given. But at the same time, it's like, man, I hope we don't find anything for her sake. But then I hope we do find something for her sake. It's an unusual balance of, you know, yes, we want to recover Molly and Colt, but at the same time, that's going to be a, a final answer. Either way... It was clear to me you were going to leave there with some sadness, either sad we didn't find anything or sad that we did. I want to give you answers. Maureen wanted to give you answers.
1: Toby, Rob, Cindy. And again, we're not done. Early on, when me and my cousin Misty and my sister were searching, you know, at one time we had gone to a location that we had gotten a tip on. And what I saw in the ground, something that looked like shovel marks that were going into the ground. And so we had shovels. We had rakes with us. It was in August of 2013. It was so hot. We had not planned on being out there that long that day. We started digging. And we got to a point where we thought we saw a skull. We all were on our knees digging with our hands at this point, and we just started crying. Every one of us saw the skull. In our minds, we were looking at a skull, and the eye sockets, the nose, you know. So we took off back to the vehicle. We called Molly's uncle. We asked him to come. We had no water. We asked him to bring us water out there. Um, He showed up. We wouldn't even walk back there with him. And he said it was not a skull. It was a rock. It was so, Mm. I think we wanted so badly to find something, to find her, you know, that, you know, we were starting to see things.
0: Well, you remember when we were out together and ex FBI agent Maureen O'Connell was with us. She was on the FBI's evidence recovery team. Remember, we kept thinking we were finding fingers, but it was bamboo. Yeah. So, yeah, your mind will play tricks on you, so to speak, when you're so laser-focused on what you're looking for, and then you think it presents itself. And, you know, it's funny. My children went through a program at a state park here in Georgia called mud and go seek and what they taught them is if you're gonna hide use what is ever in the natural terrain so whatever mud is there foliage whatever that's what you put all over your body and then if you lay flat you blend in Mm -hmm. and what they did was they had the kids work for an hour or so teaching them use like the mud from a cave the bottom of a creek bed and then the ground and those three different tones will camouflage you beautifully so they had the kids once they got all camouflaged up with the natural terrain they got i don't know 10 or 15 minutes to go hide and then the parents we were supposed to go try to find them my son laid flat on a rock and i could not see him i mean it was wicked so again for us How many different grays were there, greens were there, browns were there that were all mixed? And we kept pulling different things out, the bamboo, rocks, leaves. So let me ask you, when you first were told Molly was missing, how were you told and what was your first reaction about
1: it? My younger sister had actually seen it on Facebook and called me. She'd seen a post made by one of our other cousins. She asked me if I had heard anything about this. I had not, so I called Molly's mother. She had basically told me that what had happened, that Molly had been in a police chase with a friend. She told me all the circumstances, and then, uh, you know, we kind of kept in contact. We made posts on Facebook asking for any information. Mm -hmm. Almost two weeks to the day, the police chase was on a Saturday Um, And about a week and a half, almost two weeks later, that Thursday, Molly's mother had contacted me. She was screaming into the phone and telling me, I need you here, Paula. They've done something to my baby. And I said, what do you mean they've done something to your baby? I said, how do you know? And she said, I just know. I need you here, mm. and so that was on a Thursday, and I lived um, right at two hours away. I had never lived in the area, so it was all foreign to me. The next morning, my sister and I got in the car, and we drove down I-35 until we hit Oswalt Road. That is the the road in Love County where Con had taken the police chase to out of Carter County. He had taken it down to Oswald Road because the road, Long Hollow Road, where he lived, was off of Oswald. So that's where we headed. And we drove until we found Long Hollow Road. Well, just so happens there was a man coming out of the gate of the ranch at that time was owned by a man. His name was Mr. Green, and he owned the ranch at that time. And it was not developed at all. Like what you see now was not there when Molly and Colt went missing. And uh, it was all wooded and, you know, just a dirt trail down to um, the pond. So we st- he was coming out of his property, closing the gate. We stopped. We spoke to him, and he told us then that, you know, uh these people, you know he would have to come out there uh he lived up in Oklahoma City. He would have to come out there periodically just to check on the property because these people in the area had taken over that property as it was their own, and I'm talking about kobe Barrick and and Connip and them uh, He told us that they had they were on and off his property all the time, and they would find remnants of them having bonfires out there and this type of thing. So he gave us permission at that point that they had a key to the property at the love County Sheriff's Department if we ever needed on it, that all we had to do is call and ask. The man left and my sister and I we drove down Long Hollow Road just to see what what it was, what it's all about. Um it's a dead end road. We drove down to the end of it, and there was Con Vance sitting out on her front porch. At the time, we didn't even know who she was. Um, we didn't know that the house down there belonged to Con Nip's grandparents, you know, this type of thing. We're just driving, not knowing where we're at or what we're doing. So a lot of
0: times when you work a cold case, people will say, oh, you know, law enforcement is corrupt. And that's rarely the case. There are people that are upset that the case hasn't been solved or moved in some way But typically, the detective wants it solved just as much as anybody. But in this case, there is no question that there was corruption because the sheriff ended up getting arrested and prosecuted and convicted. So talk about that a little bit, that now you've got two people missing from Love County, and you've got a a law enforcement official that doesn't know anything about it, and then you've got a sheriff that ultimately gets arrested and convicted So when did you first start to realize, or did you know from Jump Street that law enforcement was going to be a hurdle? I
1: think we knew that it was going to be a problem Um, as soon as he refused, the sheriff, Joe, refused to take the police report from Molly's mother that her daughter was missing in his county. Which is freaking baffling. It's freaking baffling. He told... The dispatcher who came out and talked to him when she got the call from Molly's mother, she came out to the vehicle and talked to him. And I spoke to this dispatcher personally. This is what she said, that when she went out there and told him, I have Molly Miller's mother on the phone wanting to report her daughter missing. And he said, that's not my problem. That's Carter County's problem or Wilson's problem. I don't recall if it was Wilson or Carter. But anyway, um, he refused to take it. So she took it upon herself to make up flyers and hang them up in the sheriff's department. That deputy who had no knowledge of the missing people. Well, he knows con He knows his MO, so he knew exactly where to go. He went to a resident's house that lives out there, asked them if he could go out on their property And so she went with him, and they drove out there on the backside of her property that's going toward the Nip's house. And they found the car Molly and Colt had been in on the adjacent property from her. It still was not on the Nip property, but it was just uh, across the fence line from her property. They found the car. That was two weeks to the day that that police chase happened. The car belonged to Nip's girlfriend. Correct. And she reported it stolen that morning
0: of the chase. <laughs> yes, she did. So now I just want everybody to understand they want us to believe that the car was stolen and whoever stole it wrecked it and put it on the adjacent property of the owner. Okay. That's never going to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's ludicrous. Plus, law enforcement, they saw him. They knew who was driving. I mean, so that was never going to work anyway. And she ended up getting prosecuted for making a false report, correct? She did, an insurance fraud. Okay, well, let's go back to that night. So they're missing, and there are some calls made. There's a call made to 911, and there's some calls made to friends. Take us through some of those calls. On Molly's phone
1: records, there's 33 incoming and outgoing phone calls to one person. And that's um, a guy by the name of DJ, and he was out. Uh, they, he was a friend of Colt's. The belief is, well, not the belief. I think he has stated in a police report actually that he was speaking with Colt. So Colt was using Molly's phone to call non or call DJ, and DJ calling back on that same number. Um, and he actually went out. Um, looking for them, but he was actually in the wrong location. He was on Bear Hollow Road, not Long Hollow Road.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: Yeah. So he was out searching and, um, you know, was unable to locate them because obviously he was in the wrong place. So there is
0: proof that someone spoke personally with Colt and knew an area to go search. So let me ask you this. Paula, was there
1: ever a phone call where somebody spoke with Molly? That morning, um, I believe the call was 6.33 in, in the morning. She made a call to her friend asking for a ride, and they were unable to go get her. And then, so I may be wrong on the times, but at 9.33 a.m., she spoke to another friend of hers, the last person she spoke to. And asked him if he was was able to come and pick them up. She explained to him what happened and that they were lost in the woods. He was at work and was unable to leave work to go get them. And then at 9.39 a.m. was the last call Molly ever made from her phone. The rest of the calls at that point were all incoming calls. Colt's phone went dead at 9.56 a.m just minutes after molly's phone went dead and no other calls were made from his phone either
0: now see this is where you know i have this burning need to understand that they're calling friends saying we're lost in the woods can y'all come get us
1: how did they know where to tell people to come get them well i believe they knew that they had gone down long hollow road i i think you know I don't know how much time Colt had spent out spent out there, but I had heard that Molly, uh, from Molly's friend, she had told me that her and Molly had been out there just a week or two prior to this happening. Um, so the, the, I think one of them knew the general vicinity where they were. Now Colt, he made, uh, was talking with a group of people that, during the night and into the morning hours as well um those four people actually went out there, driving around, honking their horn uh trying to find them um and normally nor Molly I suppose were ever able um never w- heard the the car- car horn and um so those four people actually went to Connip's house and con was home um and they spoke to him they actually had colt on the line with them when they went to con's house and they asked con where they were and he told them that he didn't know where they were they're just messing with you nothing's wrong and colt apparently heard this and told one of those uh one of them to let him talk to con and so he spoke to Khan, um, and uh, of course, it's a one-sided story, so or one-sided conversation. So anyway, when Con handed the phone back to Rob, one of the people that was there, he told him, do you remember where we left the car? And what he means by that, just prior to this, him and another person had stolen a Mustang And that Mustang they had ditched in the woods, just the same MO as this. And um, so he told them, he told this Rob, he said, they're near there. Um, I know, according to Rob's statement, that he asked, Con, can we walk across the property? And he told him, no, you would have to go around. So they went back around, um, to Pike Road and was going down Pike Road and he was about to come over the fence or something. And now this is where things get a little sketchy for me. Um, cause there's a couple of different stories as to did he go on over the fence and, you know, and go out there and start looking and then hear four wheelers coming or, uh, or there's another story that Colt was very irate. And screaming at him, and he just got fed up and left. You know, they all left. So, um, but we have been able, or law enforcement has been able to determine by his uh, phone records that him and the other people with him left the area just shortly after that, after they had gone to Khan's house. I got to say, I got a little tickled when you said, now this is where it
0: gets a little sketchy. Okay, this is where it gets sketchy? This whole thing from the moment it occurred, is sketchy to me. I I mean, I've driven that road, and I know I didn't grow up there. I know I didn't raise friends out there or anything. But the idea that somebody would be on those roads going 120 miles an hour is sketchy. Because even when I was there, you know, there were deer, there were cows outside the fence. Uh, That gravel would make you fishtail. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong going 120 miles an hour out there. And, you know, the law enforcement having no idea that somebody's missing in their county, much less two young people. It's all over social media, but you don't know it. You've got family calling, but nobody in roll call is telling y'all anything. You've got a sheriff that refuses to take a police report. You've got a 911 dispatcher saying, hey, We've even had a butt dial of somebody basically saying they've got information. Sheriff doesn't want to hear about that. Y'all are doing the searching. Y'all don't have any support from law enforcement searching this whole area. You know, you've got friends trying to find information out from Con, And at this point, Con hadn't even been interviewed by law enforcement. The whole thing is sketchy. The whole thing is wrong. Every time I hear any fact that occurred, during that incident and the first, not just two weeks, but the first 10 years, it's wrong. It's off. It's not above
1: board. Over 10 years, I can't tell you about one organized search by law enforcement. There's not been one. There has been, the US Marshals have gone out and searched but as far as OSBI or Wilson or Carter County, Left County, they have never organized a search. Any searches that were organized was done by this family. Well, I want to be very clear.
0: Somebody else should have been out there with a badge that walked another hundred feet. Somebody else should have been out there with a badge and a helicopter and drones, and dogs, that should have never fallen to y'all.
1: Well, unfortunately, it did. It's as as a result of it, you know, we're, we're 10 years into this. July the 8th is 10 years, and just the fact that you and I are sitting here talking after 10 years, and everybody is still talking about Molly and Colt you know, is incredible to me. And I am so grateful that we're able to to continue this conversation. People are still looking for her. And as of November, after you guys were here and we were out there on the ranch searching, then we were notified that now the Bureau of Indian Affairs has taken this case. Molly is a Chickasaw native. And the Bureau of Indian Affairs has now taken her case. There's major movement going on in this case now. And it's a result of keeping people talking about it that has resulted in them being co- becoming involved.
0: I know exactly what you mean. And I am thrilled to hear that because you may remember that was my number one suggestion. We've got to get the Bureau of Indian Affairs involved, period
1: right and uh, it, it, it and it should have been done a long time ago, and it's not for a lack of trying, you know i I've gone to the Chickasaw Nation myself, you know, and spoke to them um it, it was a long time ago, and you know, but it you know one of their own is missing, and I feel like something should have been done about this a lot sooner. But now you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's all said and done. Now they're involved. They have all the FBI's uh, files. They have all of OSBI's files. They don't have mine. I have a Dropbox full, but that's not you know. The, I'm sure they've got everything that I've got, except all the personal stuff that I've obtained on my own. Mac, I have in my attic. I have in in brown paper bags because I was told when I collect evidence that I need to put it in brown paper bags because it don't obtain moisture and that kind of thing. Right. So I right. kept brown paper bags in my truck. And so when I found things, I collected it. And there is one search that I want to tell you about real quick. I was down there. We were going to do a search this particular weekend. um It was years later, and I had gotten word that o s b i had been down on Oswald Road in a ravine based on a tip that they had received about a freezer in that ravine mm-hmm. so when i when we had already planned a search, so when I got there, I wanted to see this. Some friends and i we drove out there. We found the freezer. And I don't know if I said Long Hollow Road, but I mean Oswald Road. Um, Until we found this freezer, it was a very, very, very deep ravine off a bridge. And so we went down in this ravine. We looked in the freezer. There was nothing in this freezer. But I turned around and looked down, and there was bones scattered on the ground. My cousin, my friend and I, we were like, I wonder if they saw this. I called the agent with the OSBI and I told him where I was. And he asked me, how do you know about that? And I said, well, it doesn't matter. But did you see all these bones on the ground here? And he was like, is there a skull? And I said, no. And he said, call me back when you find a skull. My Lord. I hung up from him. We started going through this piece by piece. In this pile, we also found a messenger bag with bones inside the messenger bag. We also found a Turner High School T-shirt. That's where Connip went to school. Nobody was ever interested in my bones that I collected. Um, Now, when I got back to my friend's house, we laid every bone out and photographed every bone Beside like money, like a quarter or a dollar whatever. We've got it all photographed, but, you know, and then put in bags. But the fact of the matter is nobody was interested in these bones that were found inside a messenger bag, along with a T-shirt that says Turner High School on it. I'm not saying that that's Molly and Colt, but given the circumstances, don't you think we should check? See, these are the things that we have had to deal with for 10 years. You know, it's like, if you didn't find a skull, you know, we're not interested kind of thing. Do you still have the bones? Oh, I do. Yes. Well,
0: I think we know what we're going to do. We need to get them identified as human or animal. And then we need to get some DNA and we need to find out. And that's something we can do with you very easily. There are private labs that will help us. One of my good friends is a forensic anthropologist. She can look at those bones and tell us in five seconds if they're animal or human. If they're human, then there's private labs that can extract that DNA and let's go to work. And then it's ancestral from there. Wow. So phase one. Let's get them identified. So, if you've got a couple of those photographs, you can send to me. I will send to her. I know that this is not an easy way to spend your day, and it brings up everything, and it's sad. But we got a plan right now, sugar. Yes, we to do. To give you some answers, okay?
1: Okay. Well, yeah, I would. I would absolutely like to just. If if, if it's not something I need to hold on to, I need to let it go. You know what I mean? Because I've had it for like seven years. So I need to let it go, but I can't. And I I appreciate you guys and um, everything that you do. You know, I want to mention that that we're having a 10-year. I don't even know what you would want to call it, but um, we're going to uh, meet at the Love County Courthouse on July the 8th. From about six to nine, we're going to have a candlelight vigil, and we're going to just get to know Molly's angels and, you know, just go and remember cult of Molly. You know, if anybody would like to attend, we would love to have them and meet them. The support that we've received over these 10 years has been incredible. Y'all, I'm going to end
0: Zone 7 the way that I always do with a quote. Sometimes... When one person is missing, the whole world seems depopulated. And that's from French poet, Alphonse de Lamartine. I'm Cheryl McCollum, and this is Zone 7.